Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is no, uh, December. December. It's September 24th. I wish it was December 24th. I could use Christmas right now. I really could. Um, I've had like two weeks of freaking hell, guys. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about it after we get through the housekeeping segment. Not as a pity party, not as a poor me, but as an example of why prepping is actually important. Even when nothing goes wrong for anybody but you, or it feels that way anyway. So uh, I'll tell you about some of the things that have made shows get missed and some other things that have happened. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, ShelfReliance.com. Notice I said ShelfReliance like a shelf you put things onto, uh, not self like you, yourself, and you, right? Shelf Reliance. And that's because ShelfReliance.com specializes in innovative food storage solutions that allow you to eat what you store and store what you eat. So you can easily rotate your canned goods from the little bitty tiny ones like you get, I don't know, uh, what's that stuff, uh, tomato paste in, all the way up to great big number 10 cans and everything in between. The systems will adjust to accommodate all of them. They also have the Thrive brand of long-term storage food. Uh, some of the best tasting long-term storage food that I've ever eaten stuff I'd be happy to eat any day of the week with a huge variety selection as well. So uh, check them out today for both their, their, uh, their shelving systems and their long-term storage food. Again, Shelf Reliance. Next up, the Free State Project. The Free State Project is a group of individuals that have decided to collectively move to New Hampshire and work on making it the uh, freest state in the union. They're well on their way to doing that. You can help them out by voting with your feet. You can move to New Hampshire and become part of the Free State Project. Or if, like me, it's not just in your future, it's just not in the cards for you to live in New Hampshire, you can still help them out because where one is fighting for liberty, it's a fight for liberty for all. The foundation of this republic is that states are supposed to, you know, to demonstrate the ideas that work best so that other states will want to emulate them and have to compete for the best citizens of the republic. The Free State Project is that, and it's doing it. It's, it, it's that uh, principle of a Republican action. Check them out today at freestateproject.org. Next up, remember, check out TSP Copper for some really cool copper medallion designs that we have. TSP uh, Copper, Real Truth About Money, Ron and Rand Paul, uh, Beekeeper, John Gall, all kinds of really cool stuff, easy way to share with your friends. They come in rolls of 20, and remember, MSB members do get a discount. Next up, episode 1000 is coming soon. Please be part of it. I'm going to close down submissions uh, on, on the call-ins. Uh, probably uh, the last day of September, so October 1, I'll be working on it. Somewhere around October 14, 16 will be episode 1000. We'll have the call-ins and the new version of the Revolution Is You video. Uh, pictures and calls are still welcome. The call-in number is not the think line. It's 866-691-5353, 866-691-5353. That's the Revolution 2.0 hotline just for your calls, your testimonials. Uh, full, full details about what we're doing and how you can be a part of it will be in today's show notes. Been in the show notes for a long time now. You'll just see in the show notes, you'll see a line that says be a part of episode 1000. You can get all the details by clicking on that link. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. And uh, for those of you that are uh, law enforcement, military service, Peace Corps, or first responders like paramedics, either active duty or prior service, if you email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com, 
uh, with service discount in the subject line and tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did, I will send you a special discount code to make that membership even more cost effective. And it's a great deal, guys. Um, I'll tell you, uh, when you really think about what I put together with the Members Brigade, it's pretty amazing. I've got a new discount coming for you this week. I would have gotten it added, except all of the crap that's gone wrong over the past couple of weeks has uh, delayed it. But Old Grouch Military Surplus is now going to give you 10% off. And I'll continue to build out premium discount partners that give you great discounts on great products uh, so that the membership pays for itself. And you can support the show at about $0.20 cents an episode. Uh, with that, I've got the uh, housekeeping wrapped up. Let's go ahead and uh, get into the show. Let's start out with uh, some of the crap I've been dealing with. And it, it's not, again, I don't want you to think like Jack's going, boy, I want you to feel bad for me here. Boy, my life sucks because my life's pretty damn good. Um, but this is just, you know, it's worth sharing with you guys because, one, it's affected the show. And if it's affected the show, it's affected you, and it's affected my commitment to you, and you deserve to know what the hell's going on. Um, and two is that it's a case for prepping when the whole world doesn't end. It's just on your shoulders, your back that you're dealing with. So here's what's, uh, what's kind of going on. Um, right before we went to North Carolina, the, mo the, the, the sunroof on the Jetta exploded. And then we had to tape it up. And uh, my wife had to deal with that because she was down in Texas when it happened. And then we had to go to North Carolina so we had to shut the business down. That's a good thing to go to the expo, but it does create a disruption. Uh, that incurs a major expense with putting the dogs into dog jail, as we call it. It's a really dog hotel. And, and it, if you guys want a business to get into, get into pet boarding. Uh, it's amazing. Two dogs and a little dog run will cost you almost as much per day as a cheap flea bag motel. And the dogs would definitely have more room in a fleet bag motel. It's a, it's a, it's a racket of an industry, but you love your dogs, you take care of them. So that kind of creates a financial drain. We get back, there's all the travel expense, rental car, all of that involved. All this time we're trying to save money because we're getting ready to try to buy a new home and move. So we want a good solid down payment, all of that jazz. So we've decided this is we're committing to saving money. That's when everything starts to line up. So on top of all this, like last week, you notice one day we went without a show. That was because the database connections just broke to all the sites. It took the better part of the day to get it back up. The power went out on Saturday. The microwave oven blew up. Uh, and there's like just the, the power went out. Uh, it, this is all in the two-week span. Right, And then my wife calls me on Thursday. I was supposed to be doing an interview with Glenn Tate, author of the 299 Days series on Thursday, and says, car's got a flat. I'm on the side of the road down by the garbage cans, which is a couple miles in either direction from our house and from civilization. And, and, and normally, I, you know, I might even said, hey, honey, you can change a tire, because you can, or you can uh, call AAA or whatever, but i got to get this done. You know, that's why we have these redundancies set up. But she said, I can walk home and just leave the car here, and you can get it later. And it's like a mile walk up the road. So it would have been a big deal for her, and she was more than happy to do it. But the car had to go in that day to get the moonroof or the sunroof fixed. Right, so I can't have a big delay. So I got to cancel my interview. I got to go over there, and then of course the the the, the roof repair is going to cost me my deductible, which is five hundred bucks. And it just seems like it's just adding up and adding up and adding up. I was already halfway done with today's show. I had a malfunction on the computer that's never happened before, and I lost thirty minutes of recording today. I got in the office today. The internet doesn't work, except it's not the internet. The wireless modem's broken, so that's only 50 bucks, but it's another 50 bucks on top of all of it. So it just keeps coming, it seems. It just seems like the universe has aligned the stars to kick me in the ass for a couple weeks because we all go through cycles like that. Now, if you think I'm complaining, I'm venting, but I'm not complaining. This is life. Shit like this happens. 
It just does. Now, here's the important thing. Because we're preppers, most of this turned into non-events. The power went out. It went out for longer than the power company said it would. We fired up the generator. We had TV. We had air conditioning. We had all the conveniences. Even though it went up into the 90s, it wasn't that big a deal. Oh, the brakes went out on the Dodge, so I had to fix the Dodge brakes. And the people that put, just just to really add this up, right? I want you guys to get it. Like, So I go to take the lug nuts off of the truck, and one of the wheels, when they put these custom wheels we had put on the truck, they did something wrong, and they cross-threaded all five lug nuts. And I had to go get a three-foot cheater pipe, not to break them loose, but to take them all the way off. And then I had to clean up the lugs when I put them back. I mean... This has just been, and that was Saturday and Sunday on top. So I missed half a football, on and on and on. So some of it's just inconvenience, a lot of it's money cost. But from a prepper standpoint, you know, and the attitude of being a prepper, Friday when the site was down, I needed to be available to help the techs fix the site. And I couldn't do a show, but what I could do was a video. So I did two videos on QE3, and we'll talk more about QE3 today. Um, so that just kind of rocked on through it. Uh, microwave blows up. We have to buy it, but we have the cash. The car needs a new moonroof or sunroof. We have the cash. Uh, the dogs are expensive, but we have the cash, right? So all of this stuff lined up. And, and this is not unique to me. Crap like this happens to people all the time. And because it's, it's inconvenient and it's annoying and it's time-consuming and dollar-consuming, it's not fun, but it didn't put us in debt. We didn't have to reach out for the Amex or the MasterCard or whatever, go deeper in debt. And five years ago, it's exactly what I would have had to do. I wouldn't have been able to get through it without relying on old Uncle MasterCard and, and Aunt Visa. But this, we just sailed through it, and we'll just start, kind of hit a reset button. But boy, guys, I hope the reset button comes soon because uh, here I was talking to Rob Gray. Uh, from AOCS, because guys, we're coming out with a cool silver medallion. Uh, that'll probably be available in October, early November. Uh, we're going to do something really, really cool with the first hundred of them uh, that you guys will have an opportunity to be part of. And uh, But I was telling him all this stuff, and he goes, geez, it sounds like a lot went wrong. I said, you know what? Half of the crap that went wrong in the last two weeks, I don't even remember, because all the stuff that I just said is the most recent and the most annoying and it's just the way that it, you know, it is, you know. So if I sat here and had a pity party, I can think of 20 more things that have gone completely, totally wrong uh, in, in the last couple of weeks. And there's no benefit to that. But the big benefit is by being prepared, we kind of rocked on through it. So another video I did this weekend on Saturday, um, I get up and it feels kind of stuffy in the house. It's not real hot because it was kind of cool that evening, but it's stuffy. You can tell that air's not moving. And uh, you go out and all the lights are out, even like little microwave lights and all, and there's no power. Okay, so um, so I break out the EcoZoom rocket stove, and instead of using wood, I fill it up with charcoal because there's a bag of charcoal sitting there, and I don't feel like doing anything else at this point. And I decide I'm going to have coffee, so I make up some coffee tea bags. If you want to know how to make a coffee tea bag, you take a scoop of coffee, you put it in a coffee filter, you tie it up with jute twine like a tea bag. And you throw that into a pot of steaming water, hot water. And you do it with two or three of them. You have to use more coffee that way to get a full extraction. So I make up a couple of those, throw them in there, strain them out, make up coffee, pour it in my coffee carafe uh, that's for the coffee maker that, that locks shut. Put that over to the side. Look at the coals. And the coals are just golden, beautiful, beautiful coals. So I grab like two or three more coals and pitch them in there, let them smoke up a little bit and, and, and catch, catch and burn the right way. Throw my cast iron skillet on there. Throw a, you know a, a couple pieces of thick sliced bacon into it. Start cooking bacon. Make a batch. Eat a piece. Share a little bit with the cat and the dog. And then make another batch. And then I go wake my wife up. Say, hey, honey, I got steaming hot coffee 
and crispy bacon on the deck. Come outside. It's beautiful out. Let's have breakfast on a Saturday. And she's like, coffee I get. Where'd you get bacon? Because right, she knows the electricity's out, you know. She's like, you cook it on the grill? I said, no, nah, something better. Come check it out. So we sat out there. And we shot a little video with it. So we've been able, because we're prepared, to make the best of these situations. And these are the situations that are far more likely to occur than something they'll make a Hollywood movie about. So I, I don't need anybody, you know, saying, Jack, I hope things get better for you or whatever. It's just, it's just not that big a deal. The only reason I'm sharing it is, one, when you get this much crap, eventually you want to vent to friends. And all 45,000 of you are my friends. So a little bit of venting. But the bigger issue is the, the fact that this stuff pays off even if the world doesn't end. So I wanted to include that today. Next up today, um, I want to talk to you about the droughts. Uh, I'm on Zello. I'm not on there as much as I should be because I started it and then kind of left it to the community uh, like I do with a lot of things, which I think that's part of my job, though, is to get things off the ground. But Zello, before I go into this subject, is cool. And you should be on Zello with us if... Uh, If, if you're not yet. So Zello, Z-E-L-L-O, you know, so uh, Zulu Echo Lima Lima Oscar, okay, Zello.com. You can go learn all about it. You can get apps for your smartphone like your Android or your iPhone or what have you, uh, and you can uh, get that onto your, your phone, and then it makes your phone into like a two-way radio. So you turn Zello on, you put your status to online, you connect the channels, and you can make contacts with people as well. And uh, talk to them directly or talk on the channels. Our channel is the Survival Podcast Network. If you just search, once you have it installed for the Survival Podcast Network, you'll find it. Join that channel. We have group chat going on all the time. Sometimes two or three people, sometimes 20 or 30 people. And a lot of times in the mornings, I'll get on there when I drive into the office and just talk with people. Uh, and if you don't have a smartphone, you can also use your PC. So if you have a computer with a uh, microphone and speakers, you can use it as well. So check it out again, Zello.com. I think most people can get it from most devices. Again, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's a really, really cool thing. And uh, I'm on there today, and I'm talking to Backwoods Trooper. And uh, he says, what are your thoughts on the droughts possibly causing famine? Because his view was, hey, look, I've studied a lot about empires falling. And a lot of times, as stupid as they were and as much problems as they create for themselves, they're able to hold it together and then something comes along at a critical issue, just like all these life events we're talking about, and builds up and pushes them off the fence. And a lot of times it's either disease or famine or both. And it, sometimes the disease is caused by famine. And the famines are often caused by either, you know, pests or drought, and drought being the bigger one. A lot of times drought causes additional pest problems and stuff like that. So what do you think about us dealing with a famine because of the current droughts? And there's a few ways to look at this. And the first one is I don't see famine in the United States uh, under any type of conditions we've seen recently. I mean, you'd have to get drought like it doesn't rain anywhere in the country for four months. Like that, okay? Or if you've got an EMP, a real EMP attack, you know, it shuts down the grid completely uh, with the energy problem that that would create. Or a coronal mass ejection. Or maybe a massive pandemic. And I mean something worse than the Spanish flu. It's, it's like a secondary thing to, to create famine in this country because of the amount of arable farmland that we have. And because of the fact that even though we're a net importer of food now, uh, it's because we have these specific tastes and we want to eat certain foods. But as far as food that will keep you alive... This country produces far more than enough food to feed ourselves, and if we have to feed ourselves, we'll feed ourselves. So, And we have so much arable farmland in this country. We have more unused arable farmland in this country probably than any other nation. Uh, just land that would be great for growing if we chose to grow on it. 
And the other thing to look at is the drought is not, like they talk about the drought like everybody's in drought. Well, they're not in drought in Florida or Georgia, right? They're definitely not having a drought in New Hampshire or Vermont. When I was up in Vermont, I had to put the rain fly on just because of the, the, the dew drop uh, in, in the evenings or my tent would have been soaking wet. Uh, I don't think we're having a drought in, in Arkansas or Texas, even though the maps say we are, because many things that were brown last year are green this year. Last year, every time I drove to Texas, I was behind trucks, you know, with hay flying at me because they were trucking hay in to feed the cattle because all the grass was dead. This year, when you drive through East Texas, there's surplus, huge amounts of surplus of, of hay rolls and hay bales everywhere you look. So the drought isn't even as bad as they're claiming. But let's say it was worse. Let's say it was worse than last year. Let's say we had a drought like last year three or four years in a row. This cumulative effect will build up. And what does it mean for different people in different places? Does it mean famine in the United States? The problem is in the United States, we don't know what the frick a famine is. We just don't know. We don't. We think we know. But if everybody in this country that, that typically lives pretty decent was eating mostly rice and beans all of a sudden and uh, wheat and having to make their own bread because raw wheat was cheaper than having somebody make the bread for you and uh, little bits of meat here and there. And we were living more like they do in a lot of developing countries or even developed large nations that still have this kind of developing component to them like China or India. We would say we're in famine. That is not a famine. That is not a famine. You know when you turn the TV on and you see the guilt-ridden commercial where they show the little kid whose stomach is like bloated way out in front of him? Like his belly button's an Audi, but it's not supposed to be an Audi, but he's starving to death, and that's, that's part of the symptom. And he might not eat today or tomorrow, and he might have eaten three days ago, and maybe he'll get a bowl, bowl of porridge uh, a week from now, and he might die before then, and plenty of his friends around him will fall over and die of starvation. That's a famine. That's a famine. And these types of events can create those types of events elsewhere in the world. And sometimes they happen in, you know, a small component of a desert area of Ethiopia or whatever, and we'll feel bad about it, but it won't really affect the world events. But as it starts to creep into nations like India and China that are huge parts of the global GDP, uh, it can affect us here financially, economically, and strategically as far as military events go throughout the world. So even though you don't have a famine directly here, you still have this huge impact by it being felt elsewhere. And what you have here is increasing food prices, limited availability, and sometimes food that you can't find that what you wish you could. But what do I think it would take to push this country into famine? Again, some of the things they said, a CME or an EMP that really shuts down the global electrical grid. Um, if that happens, it's going to... There'll be, there'll be, you know, one in four people dead before we start to put it back together. And probably another, you know, another 25% of the total population dead before it, it, it stabilizes. Uh, th that would be catastrophic. Um, if the nation, for one reason or another, did break up and go into a status of civil war, uh, and I'm talking like mainstream civil, like modern warfare, like, you know, national guards being mounted against federal troops, like that kind of thing, uh, like a Balkan breakdown on a much larger scale, because we have much bigger things that go make much bigger booms, um, then we could have famine in, in, in pockets of the, of the nation as well. But overall, I think the reality is that when it comes to actually feeding ourselves, this nation is so underutilizing what's available that we have plenty of opportunity to, to fix those problems as they occur. And the more people that grow their own food, the better. And this is not to say don't store food. 
Uh, my final statement to Backwoods Troopers, I'll tell you one thing, I ain't going to go hungry, right? Because I can go for a year. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that even in a partial breakdown scenario, it allows you maybe not to go for a year. Maybe what it allows you to do is to go for three months, and in that three-month period, as things are being put back together, help other people survive in your community so that you're valued. So those are my thoughts on that question. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is QE Infinity and beyond, right? QE3, as they're calling it. And I don't want to rehash everything I already said, so I'm going to do as much as I can in very, very brief 30 seconds. If you want to know, go listen to the two videos I did. And go listen to the episode of the Survival Podcast. I'll put a link in today's show notes from about 51 minutes on or 56 minutes on. I'll put it in the show notes where you need to go to listen to it. And hear what I already said about QE3 uh, or QE Infinity, which is Ben Bernanke is going to buy $40 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities from the banking system every month, quote, until it works, end quote. All right, which means to infinity and beyond, until it does whatever he thinks it needs to do. And my point was that the banks will end up holding the best real property because they'll, of course, sell to the Fed the worst real property leverage they have. The Fed will end up with a whole bunch of, of leveraged assets in the mortgage world, uh, everything from houses to farmland, okay? And they'll be sitting there holding that. And they can afford to lose because they can still sell it, and even if they sell at a loss, it doesn't really cost them anything because they bought it with a journal entry, and they have no one that they have to pay back. The banks will be holding the premium property. Both of them will put lots of money in, in U.S. treasuries and municipal bonds to keep that afloat for the time being. But short-term, 90-day loans will slowly roll that paper loan over into gold holdings, which they're buying 10%. Central banks are buying 10% of the world's gold. Uh, and they'll end up in the end, when this gambit's done, holding lots of gold, lots of leverage against property, and the safest leverage property will be with the banking system. The, the, the more shaky stuff will be with the Fed, who still owns it and can sell it for whatever it's worth in the new monetary paradigm, and they'll revalue the currency because it's the only way to escape the $16 trillion debt trap on the way to be $20 trillion. And when I put that out, I put out the videos on YouTube, QE3 will work, and I put work in quotes. This is what concerns me. How many people are so freaking brainwashed You can tell from their comments they didn't even hear what I... They probably watched the video, but they didn't hear it. They're so tuned in to these ass clowns on Shock Jock Radio saying, it's going to be hyperinflation. That's like, it's, I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll be hyperinflation by the end of the year. And you ask this person, what is hyperinflation in percentage? What percentage of inflation equals hyperinflation? They don't know. So you're saying something, you don't even know what it means. It's how deep the brain... It can't work. It's just to get Obama reelected. Here's the problem with it, just getting Obama reelected. The Federal Reserve doesn't give one-tenth of one rat's ass who's president. Because they're an independent body. Oh, the president can appoint a new chairman of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve doesn't care. The chairman is the mouthpiece. The board of the people that you know, if you care to find out who they are, most people that are saying this can't name one person on the board of the Federal Reserve other than the chairman, Ben Bernanke. I can tell you one other person that's there without looking it up on Google. All right? But then behind those people are the member banks and the people that actually own the member banks, the Rothschilds, the Morgans, the Chases. You got it? Those are the people that tell the board what to do, and then the board does it, and like they're, you know, right? And the banks are the ones that are being having all this stuff bought from them. So the Fed, Fed is buying the crappy mortgages and the not so crappy ones now 
away from the banks to give them capital so that they can increase their holdings of more positive assets and more resilient assets and more commodity-based assets, they're, they're buying for themselves. They're the one and the same. If you replace the chairman of the Fed, it won't matter. Do you really think, do you really think Ben Bernanke is really responsible for QE3? Ben Bernanke didn't do QE3 and announced it. You gotta get that. So, you know, it's not just to get Obama reelected. They don't care. If you ask the Fed chairman what, what relationship does the Fed have to the members of government, he'll tell you nothing. We do whatever we want. We're an independent third party agency. You can put a new name in there. He's still going to do whatever he wants. They're, the Fed chairman's like a shark's tooth. All right? The shark loses a tooth. Bam, another one pops up. It serves the same purpose. Got it? Okay, so here's the other side of this. Two great points were brought up on the blog. And this is going to be the subject of the video I'm going to do either today or tomorrow to go with the QE3 series. The first one, which is brilliant, and I knew it, but I didn't bring it up because I thought it made it too complicated at the time. But now that we've laid that out, we can, we can go into what it is, and that is federal or uh, banking institutions, lending institutions, financial institutions can also hold stocks. Okay? So they're going to also take some of these billions of dollars, and instead of just buying gold and U.S. Treasuries and municipal bonds, and the two bonds are prop-ups to keep the money turning over, and the gold is, is for the day of reckoning, they're also going to buy stocks. They're going to buy stocks, and they're going to buy it in dividend-producing companies. One of the hottest, untalked-about sectors right now, and if you go looking for it, you'll find how hot it is. Companies paying, on average, 5% dividends a year. Entire new families of mutual funds have been built around this. This started to heat up around February 2009 when the market was at its lowest. Some of these companies were in really premium positions to be bought. They came down with the crash, but they didn't come down near anywhere as much as the other companies. Assets began to run to them. The companies took the money. They reinvested it. This false recovery has given them the opportunity to post record profits. They leaned out their workforces. They are the hot commodity right now. And people are flocking to them. This is a, a, a bubble within a bubble. These dividend-rich companies. And people are asking me in the comments on the blog, well, wouldn't you be better off by... They actually make money. They actually make a profit. Yeah, they make money. They make a profit. But God, see, this is where people are short, so short-sighted. They make a profit in what? And people go, well, gadgets or widgets or whatever. No! How do they measure their profits? Dollars. And this is a hot potato thing where at the very end, you need dollars, but at the very end, you don't want the majority of your assets in dollars. I don't care if it's an Exxon stock or cold hard cash on hand or in a bank account or in a money market account or in a U.S. Treasury bill. You don't want most of your money in dollars at the end game. But you got to use them in dollars to make more money, to buy more commodities throughout the entire process if you can. This is what the banks will do. So if you start giving banks billions of dollars and they take some segment of those billions of dollars and they buy these blue chip stocks, this, this bubble within a bubble, and they buy some other stocks too. Whatever stocks they all get together when they play golf and talk about and say we're going to do this together collectively, what does it do to the market when billions of dollars go into it? Does it drive it up or down? You know, do I need to play Jeopardy music? Do you know the answer to that question? Up. So as they drive the price up, They're able to exit their positions at the top, convert it over to more of the hard assets before it collapses down the second side of the Great Recession and the currency revalues, right? So buy low, sell high, old-time stuff, plus make the dividends along the way, right? Okay, that's amateur. 
That's weak-ass amateur thinking. That's, that's, that's phase one. And the phases run concurrently. Phase two, as you're driving the price of the stock up, take short positions behind your buys. So that when it drops, the short position covers your ass if it drops too fast, as insurance like it's supposed to be, or so every time that stock goes down, you could actually make money. And here's what you do. Collectively, all these banks get together, and as the market's surging forward, they take profits, is what they'll call it, because that makes it sound legitimate. That drives the price of the stock down. They suck up the profit on the short position. They take the total thing and roll it back in and begin it to drive up again. And it makes this, it doesn't go straight up. And if you look at any time the market surges, it never goes straight up. It goes up, it dips. 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 Right? And that way when it dips at the top, And your financial liar says, it's okay, stocks are on sale, buy more. You don't, you don't get suckered in, you get suckered in because you think it's just another dip. But it's, the, it's maybe one little blip up and then down off the other side. Look at all the crashes. The pattern is repeatable over and over and over again. This time, more than ever before, they can create the pattern for themselves. And smart, slick day traders will make a mint during this period. Whether it's, it's six months, a year, two years, three, I don't know. But smart day traders will make a killing, that's not me. I can just tell you the overall picture. And when it comes down the other side, you watch all of these people will be holding massive short positions. They may even let the banking system implode. They may move the short positions over to the ownerships of the banks. So the banks look like they're imploding, so they need help with this currency revaluation. But what the reality will be is the banks will be sitting on property, they'll be sitting on gold, and the bank's ownerships will be sitting on Tons of assets purchased with the profits made by both the long and the short positions in the market. So that's another thing altogether that's going to go on with this. So that means, we'll talk about what it means for you in stocks in, in a second, because I want to talk about the other thing. Somebody else brought it up and said, yeah, Jack, but here's the thing. All these other nations don't have to play along with the Fed like China and India. They're buying massive amounts of gold, but they can't change the dynamic. They can't buy enough gold to make the gambit play out much faster than it's going to play out anyway. And remember, here's the thing. The whole plan is for this thing to fail in the end anyway. That's, that's where it's, it's like, it's not even, they're, they're not setting up the failure. They're capitalizing on the failure. Understand, it's got to fail. You, you can't go from $16 trillion in debt that we already have to $20 trillion to $25 trillion over the next five to seven years and have it keep working. At some point, this has to reset. They're saying, okay, it's going to reset. Let's reset it to our advantage. Okay, so China and India, yeah, they're buying gold. Here's what people don't get about the screw job that the country's going to get as a whole, right? When the central bank of China buys gold or buys assets or makes deals through their central bank, who's holding the money? The government of China and therefore the people of China. The central bank of China is a government organization. The central bank of India is a government organization. You got it? The Central Bank of the United States is a private organization. I'm not going to get deep into it, but they are a private group of banks. I had somebody email me and say, so in the end, the government ends up holding all the real estate and all the gold. No. In the end, the banks and the bank cartel ends up with all the real estate and all the gold, and the U.S. government gets diddly crap. But the Chinese government, and therefore in a way, and I'm not saying we should emulate the Chinese in any means, or but in this particular way, the way the chess game's playing, The nation of China is holding the gold, the real estate, the commodities, and the deals with other nations. And the rights to their commodities, as is India, as is Brazil, as is Russia. Gee, what did those three nations spell when we put them together in the right order? Brazil, Russia, India, China, the BRIC nations. 
The BRIC nations have low debt loads, high credit loads. In other words, they're loaners, not borrowers. And they have centralized banking positions that mean what the central bank holds, the nation holds. You see the paradigm shift. All right, So it's not that they can speed it up. In fact, there's no reason that China or Russia or India or Brazil would need to speed it up for a few years. They get to play this game too. They know what's going on. They're going to play the same game. They're just going to end up in a position where instead of their banks, their bankers and their banking families are enriched, their national status, their national power, their global cloud is enriched, and you'll see the rise of this brick block take over the economic leadership in the world. And if you take over the economic leadership on some levels, you take over the military leadership as well. And you're talking about a financial alliance that makes up about 60% of the world's population. And the rest of the developed world is way smaller than 40% of the populations left over. You get them running Africa. You get them running the East. You get them running Latin America. And we sit as yesterday's empire without necessarily Rome burning. And we have a giant shift, and that's where we're headed. And the bankers that are playing this game are going to take all of their money, and they're going to go play in the new paradigm elsewhere, and they're going to use us as an old little stepchild that they occasionally shake a few bucks out of. This is the global plan. This is not conspiracy. Anybody who actually looks at the math, the numbers, and the plays being made by all the players with logic and reason would come to the same conclusion. And what I challenge you guys is when you hear me say something like QE3 will work, please understand what I'm saying. I'm saying it'll work because it'll do what they want it to do. And there was people commenting crap like, we all have 91 days left until it ends, so you might as well just go out and party. The programming is so, so ever love and deep. There's no way the stock market can come back. It already has. It already has. In February, the stock market was sitting at about $6,600, February of 2009. Today, 13543 Now, people say, well, it's just back where it started. It's all fake. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. It did, didn't it? Remember when I told you guys, those are the long-time listeners, I told you guys when this market was coming crashing down, it'll stop. And it'll come back. Everyone, no, it's over. It's all, no, it's not over. Here, here goes the cycle. And all through this cycle, people are going, you're right about the false recovery. I'm going, no, no, this isn't the false recovery. This is the buildup to the false recovery. The false recovery is when, when people buy into the recovery. And here's the most important piece of all of this. You put all of this liquidity into the market. You increase the velocity of money. You push the institutional money into the stock market, into the gold market, into the bond market. You push this money into all of these markets. You start to create little improvements in them, little bits of unemployment improvement. And then you tell the people, here's recovery, and they're already telling you that. It's just to get Obama elected. I don't care why. They're already telling people that. Do you know the biggest thing that will kick this nation into its total false recovery? A belief by the people of the nation that we're there. As soon as people start spending and borrowing again, right, and as soon as the banks are willing to loan the money, which they're willing to loan because they can dump the loan the next month over to Ben, right, we'll go into this apparent recovery. But it won't take away the national debt. It won't take away the municipal bond crisis. These things are waiting for us at the end of the tracks, where the tracks run out and the train goes off the end. So when I say work, it means that Ben Bernanke 
the, 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 the board of directors and the real people calling the shots of the Fed, which are the member banks, the people you never see, the ownership of these banks. The, the, the Fed, again, Ben Bernanke did not do QE3. He announced it because he was told to, right? But all of these people collectively are not stupid, right? I'm talking to more and more very wealthy people that are coming to the same conclusions, right? That this thing's going to come to an end. So if you're in control of the money and you know it's going to come to an end, do you hasten the end? Do you forestall the end? Or do you more intelligently, if you're really intelligent, take advantage of the end? This is where we're headed. This is what you got to prepare for. Now, what's it mean for you with the stock market? Um, it means the stock market will probably go up for six months to two years on a bull run, maybe more, and then it will crash. And does that mean you can make some money along the way? Yeah, you better be very careful. You better run stop-loss stop collars. And what I mean is if you buy into something and it goes up 10 points, Put a stop loss five points behind it. It goes up another ten points. Move your stop loss up five points behind it. Chase it all the way up with stop losses. Can you make money short in the downside? Probably. I don't know how to do that very well. I know it's going to happen. The, the type of people that make money in options and swings and stuff like that, these are people that, that spend more time in the stock market than I spend worried about preparedness and doing the show. They live inside the data. I don't have time for that. I believe in long-term stability. I'll get to that uh, at the end of today's show like I usually do with a show like this. But, yeah, I think there's money to be made in the market. Don't ask me how to do it and be very damn careful if you try. Uh, but the, the sector that I see with the most upward pressure are going to be dividend-producing companies that have been solid dividend producers for a long time. Um, Johnson and Johnson, Procter and Gamble, right? I don't really like either one of those companies uh, ethically or morally, but they're the kind of companies. And I'm not saying go out and buy that. Please don't think when I give you a, you know, Walmart, um, any company that in February of 2009 retained more than 50% of what the average stock lost and pays a dividend. There's your sweet spot, right? And a lot of the big companies, they didn't go down at all. I mean, really. I mean, Walmart's biggest swing in this was from 69, 62 bucks down to 49. That wasn't that big. And it paid to say, paid higher dividends, right? And the only reason it dropped that much is people ran to it in 2008 because they knew it was a safe bet when everything was about to fall apart. Um, when the big crash came, uh, in, in September, uh, they only dropped from, uh, I think it was about $59, uh, down to like $53. This is when the whole world was like freaking the hell out. Uh, in, in February, when everybody was hitting the biggest low of all time, let me look on a chart right here real quick for you. Uh, they were at about 50 bucks, right? Now, what do they sit at? They're sitting at $74, right? And, and you look at the dividends they're paying. In, in 2009, they paid dividends of 27 cents. In 2008, when times were good, they paid dividends of 24%. In 2010, when there were murmurs of recovery, 30 cents a, 30 cents a share dividend. In 2011, 37 cents a share dividend. This year, they've been paying 40 cents a share on dividends. Right? There's your upward pressure. It's already started, but now people are starting to talk about it. I started hearing mainstream rumblings of moving to this sector about a few months ago. And between the public at large running here and the institutional money running here, this is where I see the upswing. These, not again, not Johnson Johnson, Procter Gamble, and Walmart. Companies of that profile. And, you know, do you want to know how sure I am about that? In early 2009, as the market had completely fallen on its ass, 
right? And I had exited almost every equity position that I had. And my, my advisor said, oh, my God, you're so young, I can't believe you're worried. Got white-faced when he realized all the people that he could have helped, he didn't. And I said, Jake, this is what I want you to do. Put together a, pro a portfolio for me of stocks like this. And in that portfolio are Johnson Johnson, Procter Gamble, Walmart, and many other stocks. And not all of the money went back in there, but a lot of the money went back into there. So I've been doing it for that long. And I was about ready to yank it. And now I just have it stop-lost and collared. And I'm prepared if it starts to sink, but I'm going to continue to ride it. I'm not saying you should. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just telling you what I've done and why and how it's worked out. And it's because money runs to security, safety, and return. That's what it wants, security. So basic overall security. Safety. Safety is not the same as security. Security means it's relatively stable. Safety means even though it's, even though something could go wrong, I've got time to exit. It will, it, so safety with an investment is when everything falls, this one takes longer to fall, so I got longer to get out. And return. What kind of return of investment do I get? When I'm at 0% in a savings account, I gotta chase something if I'm worried about my future. So there you go. That's where I think the, the sweet spot is, but be very careful, please. So how about a little light-hearted humor? Um, there's a couple down near North Austin. Uh, we do have liberal Democrats in uh, Texas. And again, before anybody gets upset with me, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm a libertarian. I don't like Obama. I don't like Romney. I refuse to vote for either one of them. So please don't take anything that I say here to Tanti Obama to be pro-Romney or pro-Republican. Just reporting the facts, folks. So these, these people, uh, they got an Obama sign, and they put the Obama sign up. And uh, they put it in their yard. And most of their neighbors being Texas that are politically active would tend toward the Republican side of things and had these conservative uh, signs up for Romney and other people. And uh, out of all these signs, only the Obama sign got damaged. And they had holes in it and they had the shit kicked out of it on the ground. And they figured like one of their neighbors must be doing this or something. So this is a look inside of the, uh, of the, the typical mind of someone that would vote for someone like Barack Obama that still believes in the, in the, the, the two-party the two uh, paradigm. Uh, the dichotomy. The first thing they did was call the police. They called the police because somebody put a hole in their Obama sign. And, and that alone just makes me sad. You know, I mean, if, if somebody's put a hole in my sign and I'm that upset about it, I'm going to watch and see who it is, right? That would be my first act. That was their second action because the police went, I, I don't really know what to tell you. I mean, I'm going to keep an eye on this or whatever, but I can't go around questioning your neighbors that you do this or whatever, you know? And uh, so they, they put out a camera and they get this, a deer, a buck deer kicks the shit out of the sign and like antlers it and just kicks the shit out of his sign. And only the Obama side. So they're calling them the Republican deer now and stuff like that. The people that are in the dichotomy and all. And it is kind of humorous that this deer out of all the signs kicked the hell out of the Obama sign. So I think that was funny and he could be the Republican deer if that was who he wants to be. But the mind of Jack Spierko digs a little deeper. And says to himself, if I was the person that believed in the dichotomy and uh, I didn't like Barack Obama and uh, knowing what I know about deer and deer behavior, if I lived in an area where, and apparently like in this area, deer are in, you know, people just look out in their lawns and they see the beautiful deer grazing and they, they love, it says in the article, it says they love the deer. Well, obviously they're not gardeners because if you garden, you don't love deer. They're giant four-legged brown rats that ruin your garden if you're a gardener. But if, if you're just a suburbanite that has grass, then deer help mow your lawn for you. So uh, they love the beautiful deer, and the beautiful deer is killing their sign. And if I was a neighbor and I 
didn't like the Obama sign and I wanted the ass kicked out of the Obama sign. Some of you are already there, especially my hunting buddies, but where are we going with this? How would you do it? Well, you go out and you buy yourself some of that buck lure, not the stuff that smells like a doe. Maybe you do a little of that too to you know, incite things a little bit. But the stuff that smells like a rival buck comes in a spray can. I'll say like mock scrape bomb or something like that. And every time you walk by these people's sign, you get a little squirt, right? And then these bucks start to smell this foreign buck that's not part of their bachelor herd because they're not in the rut yet and they haven't split up yet. But it's just like this foreign buck that doesn't belong there. And the smell keeps getting stronger and stronger. And eventually they become enraged by this, this evil buck, but they can't find him. So they look at the place where he's making his scent and they attack the sign. So that's actually the biggest reason I can give you for out of all of the signs that are on this street and they only went after the Obama sign, deer can't read, deer are neither Republican nor Democrat, but a neighbor with some deer scent could cause this to happen. That's how I think. I think a little deeper sometimes. And I tell you that story because when I tell you about QE3 and you want to make it too simple and you want to simplify it, you have to think strategically. This is an example where it's just a funny thing, uh, the case is closed now, we know the deer did it, but nobody can answer the question of why the deer did it. The most logical reason would be that there's a scent or odor on the sign that's angered the deer, that's made the deer turn aggressively against the sign. Because if deer could read and deer knew who Obama was and who Romney was and knew their supposed stances anyway on the Second Amendment, even though you know Romney, I think, is a gun-hating SOB himself. I don't care if the NRA says he's not. I look at his record, but let that go. I mean, supposedly one's the pro-gun uh, candidate and the other's the anti-gun. Well, the deer should be for the anti-gunner, right? Because the guns are what people use to turn deer into backstraps on a grill. So the deer actually should be pro-Obama if there's if this little nonsensical crap people are running. But when we look at it logically, and we go, there's just no reason for this deer to single out this sign. We say, what makes deer behave aggressively to inanimate objects And anybody that knows deer knows that it's smell. And if it's smell, and anybody that would be a hunter would know that, a fellow neighbor who was a hunter who wanted the sign destroyed just might, got it, think strategically. Okay, real quick little reminder here for those of you who are member support brigade members. Jeff, the Berkey guy Gleason, one of our great sponsors who's been with us for dang near ever, is running a special in September. MSB members, whenever you buy $100 or more, worth of product from Jeff, whether it's a full system or some new filters or some of his other products, he throws in a Berkey Sport water bottle, a $20 value, for free. There's information in your back uh, office area of the MSB, the code to use to do that. In September, you don't have to do anything else. You do exactly what the instructions say, and they'll automatically double it to two of them. So they're giving away two free ones in September. Jeff wanted to remind you guys before uh, the month ends, so we're only, what, six, seven days away from the, the end of the month. So make sure if you got any stuff to order from the Berkey guy uh, and your MSB, this would be a good month to do it. Just a real quick announcement there. Uh, next, uh, this was cool. Somebody sent me a thing. Um, it's a new way to make top bar beehives, and I think it's really cool. Uh, but I am not a, what, what would you call it? I am not a, uh, a beekeeper myself. Uh, and I don't have a lot of hands-on experience with bees, but I know enough about them to know this might be an issue. So um, this, what they're doing is they're using uh, plastic drums to make a top bar beehive. And I'll post a link to the article. But basically what you do is you cut the drum in half, and then you turn it upside down like you're going to catch water with it. 
and then you put some drain holes in it, you plug up the bung hole because it's too big, and put a smaller entrance home for your bees, and you put some wood framing and stuff on it and set it up to be held off the ground, and you build your top bars, you, and you, you basically turn the, the barrel into the chamber, and the top bars just sit on that chamber, and you get this great big beehive, and all you have to really build is the stand and the top bars. And, and it seems like a great idea. Um, I don't know how the bees will feel about living in plastic, but based on what I've seen bees live in, I don't think they'll care. Um, I think you got to make sure that the barrel never hold any, held any kind of chemicals that the residue could be harmful to your bees. But assuming you can do that, it seems like a great shortcut way to build the hives. This is the one problem I have with it. And I don't know. A beekeeper out there can respond today. Look at the article. Let me know if my proposed solution would work. One of the big things with top bar hives that you end up having to do is add on to it. Because when a bee population gets to a certain level, if they don't have enough space, they'll swarm and leave and go look for a bigger home. right? So that's one of the things that beekeepers have to worry about. So with top bar hives, they just make the hive longer in general. Uh, with conventional hives, you just keep stacking and adding on to keep adding space. Now this looks like a big chamber, bigger than a lot of bee chambers would be already and probably would have a lot of longevity. But the way they're designed, it doesn't look like it would be real easy to just add another barrel on. My question for you beekeepers, especially natural beekeepers, top bar beekeepers, if you just put two of them in a line and connected them with some type of a tunnel, would the bees use the tunnel and just cruise on back there? Maybe four or five pipes or something like that. So look at it. Let me know. I wanted to let everybody know about this because if, if that concern and any other concern that beekeepers might come up with um, uh, can be addressed, I think this is a great idea and a great shortcut Uh, to, to building top bar hive. In any way, I don't give away last names unless I'm told to, but the guy that sent that in was named Buddy. It's on instructables.com, and I'll put a link in today's show notes. So I'd like specifically people that are experienced with top bar beekeeping, take a look at this and let us know if this is valid, because the guy shows how to do it. He sets four of them up in his yard, but it doesn't say anything about any bees actually being put in there. So it might be a good design in theory. Will it work? What are your instincts on it? And I'm sure the person that built them We'll have more follow-up as they do work on that. But I thought it was a cool one, so I wanted to include that today. Next up, how about a um, from Richard, for those of us who are paleo uh, and try to avoid eating a lot of grain and stuff like that, one of the things we might miss out of our breakfast is pancakes. And pancakes with sausage. And if I'm going to eat sugar, you know, a little bit of real maple syrup. I, I do miss that. Occasionally I break down and eat one. Well, he's got a recipe for me here uh, that is completely devoid of uh, any wheat or flour to make pancakes with. This is for one person. makes about three pancakes, so you can scale it up. And uh, I'll go ahead and give it to you nice and slow so you can write it down for uh, to make three of these, right? Three pancakes. They're thin as well. I'll read the whole thing, again, slow so you can write it down. I'm not going to publish the recipe. So if you want it, get a pen, get a paper, pause, write it down now. It's not very involved. Uh, two ounces of cream cheese, two eggs, Two teaspoons of cinnamon, more if you really like cinnamon. One to two teaspoons of stevia powder, okay, to give it some sweetness. Blend until smooth. I use a bullet-type blender and let set for a few minutes for the bubbles to come out. Cook like normal pancakes, about two minutes on the first side, about one minute on the second side. Makes three three thin pancakes. Enjoy. Um, so I mean, it, it might have two to three total carbs is what he says. I think it would have um, none. There's no carbs at all there. There's, there, you, when you put some syrup on it or something, there would be, but, uh, but there's, cream cheese has zero carbs, eggs have no carbs, um, cinnamon, none, stevia, none. So this would be a zero carb, 
uh, moderate protein, high fat, perfect for paleo. Give you the recipe one more time because I don't want people going, what's the recipe, Jack? Listen, two ounces of cream cheese, two eggs, two teaspoons of cinnamon, one to two teaspoons of stevia powder. That's probably more stevia than I would want. Uh, I would tell you to use little bits of stevia if you're going to sweeten this thing. Taste, taste it raw and add to taste because to me that seems like a bit much there. Um, but I guess it would reduce the amount of syrup you might use. But I feel if you're eating this with some bacon and sausage and just drizzling it with a little bit of, uh, with a little bit of real authentic maple syrup, that sounds pretty good. I'm about to try that. You guys try it too. Let me know how it works out for you. Next up, uh, Jason sent me an article. It says, or an, an email. It says, my stepdad is a CPA. And he sent me this link about what's changing January 1st, 2013. Um, and uh, please share your thoughts on how this is going to affect us all. Thanks for what you do, uh, Jason. And it's the article is on America's, Americans for Tax Reform. And it's called 100 Days Till Taxmageddon. And I don't think it's Taxmageddon, but it is an absolute uh, violation of Barack Obama's pledge that if you made $250,000 a year or less, your taxes would not go up during his administration. Absolutely, and I guess technically it's going to go up during the second part of his administration if we're dumb enough to reelect him. And I know I've said it doesn't matter who we reelect, and I believe that. But I also believe, let me be clear about when I make certain statements like this. If you still believe in a two-party system being valid, if you really think that there's a difference between Obama and Romney, and if you vote for Obama at this point in history, i got to ask you what the hell you're thinking. The guy lied about so many things, okay? We'll close Gitmo, still open. I said that one time. You know what people told me? It's the Republicans' fault. They won't provide the funding. Hey, let me tell you something. The commander-in-chief says do something with the military. It gets done, number one. Number two, the guy had a supermajority for two years. Don't give me that crap, right? Um, uh, Barack Obama promises taxes won't go up. You're about to see how that's a lie. Uh, you know, I mean, there's just so many things, like... Barack Obama promised us that they would not act on legislation until it was posted for five days so people could look at it. People said, well, that's for the White House to sign it. It's not for the Congress. Con Obama can't control what the Congress and the House does. He could set up the site, right? He's got enough money to do that, right? So at least the legislation could be posted and then call on Congress and the House, uh, the, the, the Senate and the House to do it, right? But he hasn't done that. He wanted his shit pushed through with health care without people even reading it, let alone us getting a chance to read it. We had the Speaker of the House come out and tell us we have to pass the bill so we can see what's in it. You know, I mean, come on. You just about oath break after oath break after oath break with this guy. And he seems incompetent on top of it all. Now, I think we put Mitt Romney in, we get more of the same. Because I think it's whoever's pulling the strings of these people, not these people that are actually doing it. They have a little bit of control, but more control is exercised by the powers that be in the world. Right? The money. Why do you? One more thing for you guys to think there's a difference. Go look up the top ten donors to Barack Obama and the top ten donors to Mitt Romney. See who they are. If you think there's a difference after that, I can't help you. But if you believe there's a difference... How can you vote for a guy that tells you there will be no new taxes, no increase in taxes for those of us who make under $250,000 a year when the following is about to occur? First wave, expiration of the 2001-2003 tax relief. In 2001 and 2003, the GOP Congress enacted several tax cuts for small business owners, families, and investors, and later re-upped by President Obama and the Democrat Congress in 2010. The following tax hikes will occur. On January 1st, 2013. Oh, Jack, that's the taxes on the rich. Well, here's what's going to happen. If you're paying 10% income tax right now, you're going to go up to 15. If you're paying 10% taxes, you're not rich. 
Okay, 25 will go to 28, 28 will go to 31, 33 will go to 36, 35 will go to 39.6. So there you go. So everybody's taxes are going up in January. Everybody's that pays taxes anyway are going to go up. Many people who are not paying taxes will now pay taxes. I know you think that's good, but it is still a lie, is it not? Higher taxes on marriage and family coming on January 1st, 2013. The marriage penalty, narrow tax brackets for married couples, will return from the first dollar of taxable income. So the marriage penalty tax is returning, which means everybody who's married will have their taxes go up. At least everybody who's married in the kind of the lower middle income brackets will. See, that's how that works. So that's all on the middle class. It's not supposed to get. Middle class debt, debt tax returns on January 1st, 2013. The debt tax is currently 35% with an exemption on $5 million. For those dying after January 1st, 2013, there is a 55% top death tax rate on estates over a million dollars. I know a million dollars sounds like really rich people, but somebody that's handing down a family farm that's been in the, farm, the family for 20 or 30 generations, 20, 30, I'm sorry, that's just stupid, two or three, four generations, something like that, could easily have a farm with a appraised value well in excess of one million dollars, and it can cause families to lose their farms. That's that's one of the types of things that this could do. And those are mostly middle-income people. You don't probably know a lot of wealthy farmers, do you? Uh, next up, uh, higher tax rates on savers and investors. On January 13th, the capital gains tax will go from 15% to 23.8%. Oh, but the capital gains, that's the Warren Buffett loophole. No, that's every old lady with a freaking fixed income. Okay? All of those taxes are going up. Uh, second wave, Obamacare tax hikes. Uh, Obamacare medical device tax begins on January 1st, 2013. Medical device manufacturers who employ 409,000 people in 12,000 plants across the country. The law imposes a 2.3% excise tax on gross sales, even if the company did not earn a profit in a given year. Uh, exempts items under $100. So, you know, the, the soldier that comes home and a company builds him an arm, right, a mechanical arm, that's a medical device, right? Uh, the old lady who has her hip and he's a hip replacement, and they put that, that steel ball in there to replace her hip, that's a medical device, and everything like that. And they're going to tax those at 2.9% of gross sales on the manufacturers, even if the manufacturer loses money in a year. So it's like a sales tax, but it's not being paid by the consumer, it's being paid by the producer, which can literally cause these some of these companies, it might be the difference in being profitable and not being profitable. Many of these companies might be posting a 3 or 4% uh, profit. And 2.9% of the device gross sales taken out, uh, whether they're profitable or not. Uh, I don't think that's going to affect a lot of billionaires, Obama. Uh, next one, Obamacare special needs kids tax comes online January 1st, 2013. It poses a cap on FSAs of $2,500 now unlimited. Index to inflation after 2013. This is one group of FSA owners, uh, one group of FSA, owner, FSA owners for whom the new cap will be particularly cruel and onerous. Parents of special needs children. There are thousands of families with special needs children in the United States, and many of them use FSAs to pay for special needs education. Let me just put it to you this way: an FSA is a uh, um, what do you call it? A uh, flexible spending account, right? So this is so like what happens is you put money in there. And then you pay for your medical needs out of that, and you don't pay tax on that money, right? So a lot of these special needs parents pay for a lot of what they're doing for their kids, and it's not covered by insurance because Obamacare didn't fix that problem. If you think it did, you're just blind as a bat. In fact, the bat can see better because at least they can use freaking sonar. And these people will lose that tax break. 
So remember how it was the evil Republicans that wanted to, you know, hurt the special needs children that were going to lose their health care? Here's an example of the parents of special needs children who are killing themselves work, try to afford the extra cost of being able to take care of special needs children, having their, um, their, 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 their taxes raised. Very few of them are billionaires or millionaires, Mr. Obama. Uh, the Obama care health haircut for medical itemized deductions goes into force on January 13th. Currently, those facing high medical expenses are allowed to deduct for medical expenses to the extent that those expenses exceed 7.5% of adjusted gross income. The new provision imposes a threshold of 10% of AGI, uh, waived for 65-plus taxpayers. So that's another, that's another uh, tax increase that's going to affect mostly middle-class Americans and small business owners. When Americans prepare to file their tax returns on January 13th, they'll be in for a nasty surprise. Um, Uh, AMT will not, won't be held harmless, and many tax relief provisions will have expired. These tax increases will be enforced both for 2012 and 2013. The major items include, uh, which is the alternative minimum tax and employer tax hikes that we're talking about here. The AMT will ensnare over 31 million families, up from 4 million last year. According to the left-leaning Tax Policy Center, Congress's failure to index The AMT will lead to an explosion of AMT tax-paying families rising from 4 million last year to 31 million this year, uh, or in 2013. These families will have to calculate their tax burners twice and pay taxes at the highest level. The AMT was created in 1969 to ensnare a handful of taxpayers, uh, and now will ensnare 31 million taxpayers, most of them middle-income people. Uh, where are your no taxes for us, Mr. Obama? I'm sorry. Full business expensing will disappear. In 2011, businesses can expect expense half of the purchases of equipment starting in 2013. All of it will have to be depreciated. That changes when the deduction is taken, but it's not that big of a deal. But it will hurt the economy because it makes it harder for me to justify buying new equipment because I don't get as big a deduction in the first year. So it's an economic issue far more than an overall tax burden issue. Uh, tax rates will be raised on all types of businesses. There are literally scores of tax hikes on businesses that will take place. The biggest is the loss of the research and experimentation tax credit, but there are many others combining high marginal tax rates with the loss of this tax relief will cost jobs. Tax benefits for education and teaching reduced deduction for tuition and fees uh, will not be available. Tax credits for education will be limited. Teachers will no longer be able to deduct classroom expenses. So right now, if a teacher has to go out and buy stuff because the school district doesn't provide it, they can deduct it. That's going away. What's up, Mr. Obama? Where is this stuff? Char charitable contributions from IRAs are no longer allowed. Under current tax law, a retired person with an IRA can contribute up to $100,000 a year directly to a charity from their IRA. The contribution also counts toward an annual required minimum distribution. The ability will no longer be there. Who does this help? Who? This means a well-off person with an IRA that's required to take distributions that doesn't need them, has previously been able to give the money to the American Red Cross and take it as a deduction instead of paying all the taxes on it as income. How, this helps the government because it reduces charitable contributions, which increases the need for government. So there it is, tax Taxmageddon. These are all the increases, all the new taxes. And you can blame the Republicans. You, can you know, the Democrats had the House, the Senate, And the presidency for two years, they never even passed the budget. That's where this all comes from. But again, I don't care about the dichotomy. I just want you to know this is what's going to happen to your taxes. Doesn't matter who you blame, does it? It means we're all going to pay. And if I were running the Romney campaign, I'd run a commercial and I'd just say, here's a list of all the new taxes that are being implemented under the Obama administration. I just run them off. And you can argue one way or the other, but 
if I wanted to win, that's that's what I would do. I don't know if the guys on the Rami side really want to win. There's so much to to kick, and they're messing around with stupid crap like. Why did our ambassador in Libya get killed? It's not that I, I don't care. It's not that I don't feel for the man. It's just that that's really not what's going to affect the average American's daily life. But this will. This will affect you a lot. And there's a lot more taxes buried in Obamacare that don't come for quite a while. 2014, 2015, 2016, and on. Uh, all the way out into 2018. Uh, here's a tax that a lot of the people that are huge Obama supporters right now, the, the good old union worker that says, this is our guy. Uh, the Cadillac insurance tax, right? So the people who have the great, uh, healthcare insurance and that's going to get taxed as income. That doesn't come until 2018 when Obama's long gone and you'll blame whoever's there, but he's the one that did it. And that means a lot of union workers, blue collar, middle income workers that have great health insurance are going to see dramatic increases in their taxes because the company that you work for is going to be required to say, if you had to buy that insurance pro program yourself in the open market, what would it cost you? And it won't be based on their group rates. It'll be on what it would cost you as an individual. And it might be $20,000. And that's $20,000 of income you're going to pay taxes on that you don't make as income. And that's just the beginning. So those of you who still believe there's a difference between these two clowns and then are still going to vote for Obama, hey, if there's no other reason to vote against Obama, it's because he's lied to you. Uh, let's take another one. Here's a great email from a guy named Tim. And uh, it'll help us with all these big numbers like billions and trillions, $40 billion dollars and things like that. Um, I'll just read you his email. Had the privilege of meeting you and Dorothy in Hickory, North Carolina. I discovered your podcast by accident back in February. And I've been intrigued ever since. You're the only person I've ever heard that's a lot like me. I just don't voice it very well. Refreshing to know someone else is just as crazy. Seriously, though, it's nice to meet. Uh, nice to have someone out there that can articulate concerns of these times. I just wanted to give you an idea for explaining large numbers to people. Turn the number into time. One million seconds equals about 12 days, or 11.57 Four zero days. So a million seconds is 12 days. One billion seconds equals 31.71 years or 11,574,074 days. Most people can't comprehend the numbers, but time they have experience with. Thank you for all you do, Tim Greer. Okay, I think that's great. And I want to say it again. A billion seconds takes 31 years. Roughly, 31 years. So when you're a billion dollars, think of a dollar a second. One second, one dollar. Two second, two dollar. Three second, three dollars. Got it? It would take 31 years at counting one dollar a second. Not a minute, a second to get to a billion. But let's take it up a notch. Let's take it up a notch. A trillion is a thousand billion. A trillion is a thousand billion. That means one dollar a second to get to a trillion. Thirty-one thousand seven hundred and ten years. A trillion dollars at a dollar a second. Thirty-one thousand years. Thirty-one thousand years. Think about that. Now, the U.S. national debt: sixteen trillion dollars. And you want to know why I believe there's no way out of the debt trap, and why they they have the end game plan that they do. Here will make perfect sense for you. At one dollar a second, sixteen trillion dollars to be spent or paid off at a dollar a second, 
507,360 years. Our current national debt at a dollar a second is equivalent to 500,000 years. 507,360 years to be exact. Half a million years. Half a million years. That's hard to put your head around. But it's easier than 16 trillion, isn't it? It makes it real for you. That's why the financial end game is where it is. And now I want to kind of shift gears here with you and kind of talk to you at the end about why I keep telling you guys to be prepared for a shift instead of the end. Why I tell you that this, this, this financial end game is going to hurt a lot of people, but there's going to be an economy of sorts. There will be a continuation. There will be an evolution. There will be something new. Let's take a look at what everybody wants to talk about. And again, people that make comments on my videos and on my podcasts about things like QE3, what it's going to do, how it's going to end up, and ignore the fact that like I told you everything that was going to happen right up until now, almost 100% accurate. I'd say I'm batting 95%. In baseball, that would be a 950 average. That's, that's probably better than just about anybody on TV. And everything I've said is on record all the way back to June of 2008. You can go listen to every single one, and you'll see it all play out. You'll see it play out when I told you they were going to raise the debt ceiling, how it was going to work, how the money was being created, what the results of it were going to be. You'll see it play out when I said the stock market's about to crash, protect your money. And when it crashes, it's going to be an opportunity. It's going to come back. It's not going to go away. You'll see me be contrary and over and over and over again, not because I'm smart, because I'm a student of math. I'm a student of history. And I know that cycles repeat themselves. So one of the biggest things that people like to say is, oh, look up Weimar Germany. Like, I've never heard of it. Like, I, wow, I just can't believe you brought that. I didn't know there was hyper, I didn't know that worked. But this is what nobody says about Weimar Germany. It really, the hyperinflation ran in a period from about 1919 to 1923. It was, it was about a three to four year period where it took off. And then it came into from 1924 to 1929 in Weimar Germany. Do you know what they called that? You can look it up if you don't believe me. The golden area. Uh, the golden era. That's what it was. The golden era. It was stable. Germany began to rebuild itself. And then they, then they had, in 29, they felt the effects of the stock market crash in America like the rest of the world did. And the Great Depression wasn't just the Great Depression in America. It was the Great Depression all around the world. And that's what brought down Weimar on the second side. The hyperinflationary period was corrected and replaced with a new currency and a new economy. Germany had huge war debts, but that was part of the, the what they part of the game they played with the hyperinflation. But the person who wants to sell you gold never tells you about the golden era of Weimar Germany, do they? Look it up. I'm not making this crap up. Whenever something falls apart, it's rebuilt. It's put back together in a new way. And we can say, well, look at the fall of the Roman Empire. Look at the multitude of economies that developed after it fell. Look at the fall of the Vikings. Look at the fall of whatever. Look what happened to Japan in World War II. They, yeah, they turned around and bought half of our country within 20 years. All of these things cycle through. And, and this is a problem that I think a lot of people have. Everybody wants to believe that their situation is unique. I started off by telling you over the past couple weeks all that crap that went wrong for me. And I said, I don't want a pity party, right? Because I realized this is the kind of crap that happens to everybody all the time. It's not unique to me. I say the universe is lining up to kick me in the testicles, and it's just, it's a venting, it's a frustration, but it's not true. It's just the way the world works. 
we're not unique. We're not different. Oh, but there's never been a time. Yes, there has. Yes, there has. There's been a time like this over and over and over and over. People that want to sell you things know that the primary way they can sell you ideas or stuff is fear. And they'll, they'll try to convince you this is different. Just like the people that say, it's the end times, the Bible says so. Okay, A lot of people have been very disappointed with that belief for a very long time, but this time it's different. Well, now they have the mark of the beast. They don't even know what the mark of the beast was, how it worked out. It just, uh, it just it drives me crazy. Right, So everybody wants to believe that this is a unique situation. There's never been a time when one nation held the reserve currency for the rest of the world. Well, that's kind of not true because when the United States was founded, a dollar uh, in the United States Constitution referred to a Spanish coin known as the piece of eight, and the piece of eight was globally recognized as currency. So... Not so much, right? I mean, and that's not the same. It's not apples to apples. It's not that like all of this tie-in with leverage money and derivatives and things like that can't cause more pain than ever before. But in the end, the cycle's the same. Boom and bust. Boom and bust. Boom and bust. Boom and bust. And the the fear should be not that we're going to go live like they are on that new TV show Revolution, which I finally caught the first episode of that, and I I don't know. It seems like, eh, you know, but. Uh, that's not the fear. That's not what you should be worried about. The question should be, how much of your wealth will it cost you when the shift occurs? And how much of our liberties and freedoms will it cost us when the shift occurs? Not that it'll end, that it'll shift. I just told you part of the shift. Part of the shift is the economic dominance in the world is going to shift to primarily Brazil, Russia, India, and China. They've played the game better. And the people here that are playing the game are vesting their interests over there. They really are. The, the, the billionaires of the world are moving their fortunes to the east. Do you think they're that stupid that they don't know what they're doing? Do you think that maybe they have collective intelligence that's better than what you get off the TV regardless of what channel you turn on? Do you think that their intelligence is better than Fox News or, or MSNBC? Or, oh, I know, you're a contrarian, so you listen to Alex Jones or Russia Today, so do I. Don't you think their information is better than those sources as well? Don't you think it's better than the five or six people that blog, that you read, that, that particularly seems switched on financially? Don't you think it's even better than mine? Of course it is. See, my intelligence isn't what I based all my, and I don't mean my, my internal intelligence, my active intelligence, my collective intelligence that I get by, by using the same way that the nations gather information called intelligence. That's what I'm talking about. That's not what I just based my decision on. I look at what actions the people that would be most in the know are taking. And I say to myself, self, why are they taking these actions? Just like the deer sign, right? The deer kicks the shit out of the Obama sign because the deer's a Republican. It's ridiculous. It's funny, but it's ridiculous. Deer can't read. But why would the deer kick the sign? Because it smells like an offending deer. Why would the sign smell like an offending deer? There's only two reasons. There's two reasons this could have happened. There's a natural one and a man-made one. The natural one is, even though they're in pre-rut, Uh, and they're not really, because I mean, we're still in September. The deer aren't, especially in the south, aren't really moving into rut yet. Some young deer kind of started making a few scrapes and, 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 and he scented the sign naturally. And then the other buck was enraged by it being a larger, more dominant deer attack the sign. That's a natural way. And if it was two months later in the year, I'd say it's probably likely. 
or a hunter knowing how this works that doesn't like Obama sprays the sign with a buck bomb. Right? Because that's analyzing why. What's the motivation? What's the strategy? And the problem for most people is they're not worried about the strategy. They're thinking way too myopically. It's, it's, it's a programming, and you have to understand that your mind can be programmed not just by the, the total collective nonsense that we're told in the mainstream. Your mind can be programmed by the contrarian things as well. Uh, it has to fail. Every time a country, you know, you hear it all the time. Every time a country has printed money like there's no tomorrow, it resulted in hyperinflation. Well, we've been printing money like there's no tomorrow for a very long time, and we have not yet had hyperinflation. So the two statements are in, in conflict with each other. The end result will be that. But to say, okay, well, this time it's going to be different. They, these same people said this during QE1. They said it during QE2. They said it during Operation Twist. Where's the hyperinflation? It's not here yet. I'm not saying it's not coming. I'm saying we have to prepare based on fact, history, logic, and reason for what's happened before. And this is the cycle that empires go through. Growth, plateau, decline, rebuilding. That's what they go through. And some never rise to the level of empire again. Some because they're so damaged they can never do so. And some because they've realized that being the head of an empire isn't all it's cracked up to be. And that's what we're headed for. Does that mean no one will die? No. Does that mean no one will starve? No. Does that mean no one will end up on the streets? We won't have things like Hoover Towns again? No. Does that mean everything will be hunky-dory? No. But it does mean that it won't all go away. It won't all just disappear. People say, oh, if we go into a debt crisis, the grid will shut off. Why? Why do you even think that? Really? So at a time when companies need more money than they've ever needed before, they'll just stop producing electricity. Well, the people won't go to work. So at a time when people need a job more than ever before, they won't work for less or work for whatever people will pay them. It's just illogical. It doesn't make sense. It ignores the fact that most of our nuclear producing plants could be able to produce electricity for a very, very long time with no inputs. All you need is the manpower. Right? It ignores the fact that if things started to fall apart, we have this thing called the military that will do what it's told, and they might not just be breaking skulls. They might actually be holding things together, going and do jobs other people won't do. Like, like that would never happen. See, and then you go into the people that believe in the global conspiracy, that they're all out to exterminate us. Let me explain something to you. If the end game was simply as exterminating us, they could have exterminated us a long time ago. The people in power don't want you exterminated. They want you behaving like a good little serf. And we're headed toward a place where the, the, the freest nation in the world is walking headlong voluntarily into serfdom. Because when this crisis hits, the average American is going to have no skill set left. The average American's ability to do something as simple as change the brakes on a car or the oil in a truck is gone let alone know how to make a fire, let alone know how to garden, let alone know how to farm, let alone know how to do anything for themselves. The average American is devoid of skills. The average American is devoid of real wealth. They have nothing that provides for them without further inputs. That's real wealth. How far can you survive forward without any additional inputs? That's from Buckminster Fuller, not me. I consider him a much smarter man than I am. All right, so they are devoid of wealth. They are devoid of skills. What they have in abundance an entitlement attitude, a belief that they're entitled to things. And I don't care. Some of you are going to be angry that I say that, but that's true. 
and you turn on the TV and look and see who's idolized. And the people with the biggest entitlement attitudes out there today have the largest fan bases. You think their fans are similar or different? Put it to me this way. If you would call yourself a fan of the Survival Podcast, would you say that you're more like me or more like Lindsay Lohan? Right? So if you're a fan of Lindsay Lohan, are you more like Jack Spirico or more like Lindsay Lohan? Right? So they have an entitlement attitude. They have a massive amount of debt. And they have not just the skill set in lacking that I talked about, but they lack most skills, most employable skills outside of one specialty. And a group of people like that, when the financial system shifts, and people that, that object to my declaration that that's what's really going to happen, think that that won't be that big a deal. That's why they object to it. They think it'll just be, oh, this will be, it'll be like, kind of like the Great Depression then. No! The people during the Great Depression had all the things we don't have today, and none of the things that we do. They didn't have an entitlement attitude, and they weren't deeply leveraged in debt. The general American citizen living anywhere except on, you know, Manhattan Avenue had very low debt in the 1930s, 1920s. Had very, had no entitlement attitude whatsoever. Worked for everything that they had and valued hard work. The very professions that we tell our kids today, you wouldn't want to do that. Those people valued. So when that group of people runs into an economic shift that requires they do for themselves, take care of themselves, they don't get their freebies anymore, right? Or the freebies they get don't buy them what it used to, and they're asked to step up or lay down, many of them will lay down and die. They won't die because they can't survive. They'll, they'll die because they won't survive. This is a dark, dreary, nasty future we're heading into. And the problem with most people that won't accept it, that listen to me anyway, isn't that they don't think it can happen. It's that they're so convinced it will be worse, they can't face the reality of this middle ground. And this is what I've learned as I've studied history. There's always people that go to two extremes. Everything will be fine. Everything will end. Right? Democrat or Republican. Right? No gay marriage or all people should be married to anything that they want. Right? The state must be involved though. Right? One extreme or the other. And generally, sooner or later, the marketplace and history... And common sense, going forward, will show the true path. And the true path is never one extreme or the other. The true path always comes to somewhere that moderates in the middle. Because as human beings, when we believe something in our heart, in our soul, with our conviction, anything that seems to challenge it even the remotest bit is to be violently resisted. So when we hear someone that speaks from the center of common sense and logic, we immediately say, you're on the other side. You hate me. You don't believe, you disagree, you know, you won't listen. And that same voice will be told the same thing by the other side. But in the end, that voice is the one that's usually right. And that's why I always judge events with reason and logic, and I always seek where the truth lies on both sides. So the, the, the story being told right now, 
is that this plan for quantitative easing will work and reduce unemployment and blah, 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 and do all these wonderful things and lead the nation into true recovery, which we've already begun. Which we all know is what? Bullshit. Right? But the other voice is, it's already over. It's already done. There is no more possible recovery. There's no way to restart the stock market. There's no way to restart the housing market. Even though the numbers already say that it's already starting to happen, there's no way any of this can happen. This ends in three or four months. It's over now. It's done. This is just to get Obama reelected, and as soon as that's over, we'll hit the fiscal cliff that they keep talking about, and it'll be the end. And there's and and, and if you try to explain to either side what they're missing, they shove you into the group that is the opposition and say you're just like them. No, no, I'm not. I'm a student of history with a really good track record of telling you what's going to happen and sitting back and going, there you go. I have a really great track record of going, damn, I wish I had been wrong. See, most of this stuff I don't want to be right about. I don't have any any happiness when you guys send me an email and go, look what they're doing with tracking cars on the highways, just like you said they would. You know, I don't I don't go, yeah, me, look at how great I... I go, man, God, boy, that was one I wanted to be wrong about. And it happens over and over and over again. So here's where you're headed. Most likely... Here it comes. Start the band. The economy goes into the false recovery, I've promised you, since 2008. When everybody believes in it, when everybody's getting back in, when everybody says, look, and gives the credit to whoever's in charge, no matter who it is, look out. Look out. That big boot is winding up. And I do believe that that time, It is the end of a monetary paradigm. It will require a shift. It will require a revaluation. You can't have a debt load in the trillions of dollars like we have and fix it any other way. So when I say, when I look at that, I say, how have, how has this always been fixed? And it's always been fixed through monetary revaluation. And it's always resulted in some sort of rebuilding on the other side. And it's always kicked the common man squarely in the testicles, the teeth, and the kidneys all at the same time. It's always robbed their wealth. It's always stolen from them. And then they've always ended up after that with an opportunity to rebuild. And as they've built success, it's the game's played again and again and again. So don't think I'm saying it's going to be freaking Disneyland. Don't think that I'm like I'm saying it's going to be like watching black and white TV from the 30s. Don't think I'm saying that. But I'm also saying be hopeful and have a plan for success, not just for failure. Build up your commodity reserves. Build up a homestead that produces for you. Build up food reserves. Somebody asked me on the blog, and I'll answer it here, but what happens to those of us who are renting when this happens because we can't buy a place? I don't know. I don't know what happens to the person with a paid-for piece of land and a year's worth of food. I don't know what happens. I'm not full of shit like the people who will tell you they do know what's going to happen. I don't know. I know the big picture. How will it impact you as an individual? I don't know. All I know is the more options and assets you have, the more choices you have, the better you'll be able to adapt Because it might look very different in Atlanta, Georgia, and Dallas, Texas. And it might look exactly the same. I don't know. 
you don't know, nobody knows, and anybody that tells you that they do know is full of crap. In some ways, being a renter, if you can save money while renting, might create an enormous opportunity. Because when the market goes to crap, you may be able to buy the property you've been waiting for for next to nothing. Then again, it might be completely out of your reach for 20 years depending on how the dynamics break down, depending on what the new plan is, and depending on how well your fellow citizens are capable of accepting and adapting to it, and how long it takes them to accept the reality of the new paradigm. And if you think anybody knows the answer to that, you're out of your freaking mind. Because you don't even know what the new paradigm will be yet. We can guess at it. We can say gold will probably be part of it. They could throw us a left curve. Who knows? They could base the new freaking economy on plutonium for all we know. They'll do whatever they want. How do I know that? They always have. How do I know that it, it'll, it'll go through a cycle? It always has. How do I know? Because all I got to do is look at the history of humankind, the banking sector, the financial sector, the government sector, politics. All I got to do is look at it. And I realize as unique as we think we are, I can read a story to you like I did last week about life in the 1600s in feudal Japan and show you that many of the oppressions of government and many of the dynamics of the economy were functioning exactly the same then as they are today. The burdens were placed on the same people. There was an elite ruling class that lived a privileged life. There was a sub-elite class that lived what appeared to be a privileged life. They were the ones that got projected with most of the blame while the truly elite laughed and lived large. And even when that whole dynamic fell apart, the truly elite remain truly elite, and they just changed their names, they changed their position, and they changed how they controlled people. And if that's happened over and over and over, what would lead us to believe that it won't happen exactly the same way yet again? So when people say, well, look at Weimar Germany, my response is, I am. I'm absolutely looking at Weimar Germany. Hyperinflation followed by a currency revaluation caused by a devaluation and reneging on the na nation's debt used to create a militant government, used to put a freaking maniac in power, used to consolidate power, and used to create the secondary rise of an empire. Gee, maybe we should look at more than just phase one when we're looking at these historical events. See, that doesn't help you sell somebody an overpriced gold coin now, though, does it? Gold and silver part of your portfolio? Yeah, absolutely. Have some fun? Yeah, absolutely. But stay out of debt. Stay the course. And plan to fail and plan to succeed at the same time. I know that's counter to everything that you've ever been told. Let me tell you about something. When it comes down to it in this world today, you know when a man's speaking the truth? When he doesn't follow suit with anybody. When he takes all sides of the information, puts it together, and comes to the only logical conclusion that all of that information provides. Doesn't run off in one direction alone, like a freaking voice in the wilderness going, it's all over here. No, no. Inside all of the lies that we're being told are the truths. See, this is something else no one will tell you. You know how you sell a lie? You use ten truths to sell one lie. That's what you do. Because the nine, the ten truths get blended in with the lie. So, well, that's true, 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 true. This must be true, too. It all ties together. Or another way to look at it, when your watch is five minutes off, it makes you late for an appointment. It's dangerous. 
when your watch is five hours off, it can't do you any harm. You, you look at it and you go, that, that's not right. That's just not right. So that's how we can figure out what's really going on. All you have to do is decipher the truths within all the lies and take the truths from both sides and put them together, and then you get the whole picture. You get the real picture. Understand human motivation. Understand that deer don't read signs and don't give a damn about Democrat or Republican. And why does a deer behave the way it behaves? Understand the Federal Reserve doesn't give a damn about Democrat or Republican. Doesn't care. Operates independently. Really, the group as a whole could care less who their chairman is and ask why do they behave the way that they behave. You start to get answers. With that, this has been Jack Spierko helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is you.